0: We finally went to a pre-trial conference in the courtroom, and I realized that my lawyer, we didn't have a defense. I couldn't defend myself. She wasn't saying anything that sounded like anything like a defense. And the prosecutors are now, they keep calling individuals just to confirm that they felt their life was endangered, so they could add aggravated assault and endangerment charges and tell me that they're going to stack all these charges against me. And if I go to trial, I'm looking at 33 years. So when you hear a prosecutor tell you 33 years of charges that you cannot defend yourself for factually, um, it starts sinking in real hard. Like, at the time, I, you know, I was real dramatic. Oh, I'm going to die in prison. You know, 33 years, that's life for me, you know. Um, yeah. that's, so you just, you just, I literally, I created a bucket list and I started doing, like, all the random things around Arizona I wanted to do because I felt like I was about to die.
1: Welcome to The Uncensored Show with your host, george action paul where we share the mindset tips tools strategies and stories on how to use your money to do more of what you love and what you were called to do money is like gas on a road trip sure you need it to get where you're going but you're not going on a tour of gas stations money fuels your journey the question is what's yours live life uncensored After spending almost five years in prison on a wrongful conviction, Dominique Goodman is now using her education, powerful story and nonprofit organization to promote the dissipating side effects the justice system hands out to our community daily. Three years of Dominique's incarceration were spent fighting for her innocence and freedom, but to no avail. During this time, the North Carolina A&T State University alum decided to continue furthering her education in legal matters, becoming a certified paralegal, not for job opportunities upon release, simply to become knowledgeable on the systemic workings of America's structure of justice she thought was created to protect and not destroy Dominique promotes a lot of attention on wrongful convictions and the increasing amount of innocent victims signing plea deals. She also holds the ability and experience to speak on several injustices in the system, releasing a TED talk and podcast doing so. However, she now spreads education to ignite a proactive movement for the culture to prevent anyone needing to step inside the courtroom. While she plans to meet with politicians to discuss policies that will save lives, her company will begin to rebuild the image of how society views felons while preventing a new generation from ever becoming one in the first place. Ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, Dominique Goodman. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Uncensored Show. Today, we have a very special guest. Uh, We're going to be talking about um, some stuff that everybody probably needs to know more about, but doesn't realize that they need to know more about it. Um, It's probably gonna be a little bit outside of the scope of what you would typically think uh, that you're gonna hear on the show, but I'm so glad to be able to uh, use my platform to be able to share more about um, this this story and just the importance of it. And so I want you guys to welcome Dom Goodman to the show. Dom, how are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. Thank you so much for having me on here today. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing good. Weather's good. I'm feeling good. I mean, I can't complain. I'm excited to talk to you. So, and it sounds like all check boxes on my end.
0: That sounds amazing.
1: (laughs) Well, I know, you know, I just did the formal intro, um, but I always like to have my guests kind of just, you know, share in their own words why they're actually on the show, like just kind of who they are and what they're all about.
0: Okay. Um, Well, I am here today um, to actually speak out. Um, I've naturally always been um, a speaker. I did a lot of um, public speaking, a lot of poetry, spoken word. Um, However, due to the recent events in my life, I never thought that I would be speaking um, passionately about, you know, the criminal justice system. Um, Due to, you know, events happening with a car accident with me in Arizona, um, I was, you know, thrust into a situation um, that you know, ignorance of the law kind of like left me, you know, kind of betrayed me. And I had to serve four and a half years in a prison. And so my only thing that I was able to walk away with, well, not the only thing that I was able to walk away with, but the biggest thing that I walked away with from the situation is this doesn't ever need to happen to anybody else. Um, I feel that I became a billboard of anybody can go to prison Um, Because I wasn't previously living living some type of criminal life or, you know, conducting actions that, you know, the ramifications come with prison. Um, I was moving out to Arizona to further my education. So I could, in my head, I thought I wanted to be a professor at the time. So now I'm here speaking with you, just trying to spread the message about, you know, education and the criminal justice system.
1: Wow. Powerful. And then being that I actually, you know, knew you before this ordeal, um, it was you know, shocking to me Um, once I I learned, which was very recently, uh, that you had even gone um, to prison. One quick question, speaking of lack of education. So what is the difference between prison and jail? Like in my mind, jail is like local, small time, like maybe you'll be there for like just a short period and then prison is like you're gonna be there for a while. But that's, that's, unfortunately, that's the extent of what I know between the difference.
0: So Um Yeah. Yeah, jail is basically yeah, um, it can be short time. There are actually people that are sentenced to jail for, you know, a year or two, which I don't understand in my head. Um, but jail is more It's it's dependent on your location. That's what i learned. Um the location that I went to jail in is very low budget, you're eating very cheap, like all jail and prison meals are terrible, but jail meals are like uh it's it's like dog food. Um, and you're supplied with a limited amount of clothing and they're just trying to get people in and out. Jail, you're going to end up, you know, that's your common like DUIs for the night, domestic violence charges. You got to hold them up until they're able to be arraigned in front of a judge kind of thing. Um, prison is when you've actually been convicted of a crime and you are having to serve out your entire sentence there. Um, just because you're sentenced to prison doesn't even mean you're spending a long time there. I've met people that were in prison for like three
1: weeks. They just, it's just the system. That's just how it works. Okay. All right. So let's, let's, let's flash back a little bit. Right. So you graduate from undergrad, right. And then at some point you decide, okay, I want to further my education. Um, and I'm going to move out to to Arizona. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you move out to Arizona and then at some point, uh, I guess this, this night happens, right. Where, uh, and you, you're from that point on your life kind of changes forever. So let's, so let's kind of start there. Like what, I, mean, I know you don't maybe remember every detail, but just like share with us, like from that moment or kind of leading up to that moment until, you know, you, now you find yourself in jail, like how did, how do we even get there, how do we get there?
0: So the story starts out like so beautiful because, you know, I'm, it's my final presentation for that part of the semester. Um, my old friend from college is in town for work and we decided that we're going to meet up and the following week is actually Geo, and I'm actually flying back to North Carolina and I'm super excited, plane ticket, um, all my clothes just still have to pack. Um, so we decided we're going to meet up and I was going to take him out to one of my favorite spots to eat, um, in Scottsdale, R&R, if you ever, in, you know, Scottsdale, Arizona areas, that place is awesome. Um, and I leave my class, I go to his hotel, it's right around the corner, and, you know, we have this strict conversation, because me, and we're known for our drinking shenanigans that we are, Um, anytime we get around each other, we're we're probably going to be doing a lot of drinking, Um, a lot of the guy friends I held in college are the reason my tolerance is so high, or was high at the time. Um, but we, you know, we make a declaration, hey, we're not drinking like that tonight. We're just meeting up or having a conversation. He had to go to work in the morning. I had things that I needed to take care of prior to leaving the state. Um, so it's just a chill night. We're just catching up so we don't have to try to have these conversations during Geo. That was definitely me. Um, I sit down on the couch in his hotel room because I, um, I was on the phone with my friend Carlin and I give him the phone and I just remember sitting back relaxing and then that's it. My next memory is actually waking up in a, a room, this white room with glass panel windows in front of me, and I'm just laying there. I have no idea what's going on. And at the time, I'm not even thinking about my last memory of being on a couch and about to go out to happy hour. Like, that wasn't even in my train of line of thought.
1: Wow. So you you literally don't remember kind of what, what got you there, but you end up there and you basically, you wake up in in jail, so to speak, right? I, mean, I guess obviously you're being treated for uh, the injuries that you sustain things of that nature, but for what it's worth, you you wake up, you, you, so you're, before, before earlier that night, you're out about enjoying your life and then you wake up in jail. Like, what's like, what yeah. thoughts are going through your head at that point?
0: At the, uh, the first moment, there was nothing going through my head um, at all. I wasn't thinking about anything. I wasn't asking questions. I was just sleeping. Like, everything in my world at that moment was fine. Um, I'm not even sure why I hold a clear memory of that. Um, it wasn't until a morning where I'm assuming something actually happened in the jail, um, and there was a lot of officers running back and forth, and they had guns on them and batons, and I kind of, like, snapped out of whatever days I was in and woke up and was like, yo, where am I? What happened? Um, and I spoke to my mom that morning, luckily. And I just I broke down crying, like, "Yo, I don't know what I did. I don't know where I'm at. I'm sorry." And she's just like, you know, she kind of just like chills back. She's like, "Yo, I got you. I'm I'm gonna come get you." And it was just immediately like overwhelming because I had no knowledge of anything that was occurring at that moment.
1: Mm. That's gotta be. That's gotta be kind of a very scary and vulnerable position to be in. Like just to have no recollection of of what happened and what, what what led you to that to that space. That's, that's interesting. Yeah,
0: um, we would like find out later, like I was in the ICU at that jail cell, um, but I don't like want anybody listening to get it misconstrued that they were actually taking care of me medically. Um, that jail, jails and prisons typically are terrible when it comes to anything medical um, that needs medical attention. I was literally just in a bed. Um, I later found out um, that they actually had to hire a doctor and bring my lawyer in to come see me um, because whatever bed that they put me on, I fell off the bed and wasn't able to walk or move. Um, and so they had to like come actually like make sure I was actually getting some type of attention in that place because um, my accident, uh, the car accident that I was involved in, um, which led me to that and we'll get to that, um, actually left me with. A shattered femur, a broken hip, a broken elbow, shoulder, and a really traumatic concussion um, to where I wasn't able to take care of myself, and they snatched me out the hospital three days after the accident and put me in a jail cell with no, no care.
1: Wow, that's 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 crazy. I mean, you hear stories about you know how they take care of or or don't take care of inmates and. People, people, but it's just, it's crazy to actually hear it play out because you just never know when it's not close to home where no one's, you know, kind of intimately been able to articulate like what happened to them where you just didn't know anybody. You just, you don't know the extent of how that stuff plays out, but it's, it's crazy to know that that's, that's actually true. Like they really don't care.
0: No, they really don't. It's not a list of the priorities at all. I'm not sure why.
1: Yeah. So, so so now, take us through the moment where, okay, so you you're in jail. Now you've kind of snapped out of it. You're starting to connect the dots that, hey, I, you know, I don't necessarily know exactly how I got here, but I'm here. And now you know that, I guess, for lack of a better term, terminology, shit is getting real. Shit is real, right? So, like, from from that moment to you kind of, you know, being, as you put it, snatched out of the hospital and then put into the jail cell, and then. What's, what's kind of happening from that moment up until the point where you start to piece together or have people try to piece together for you uh, the gravity of the situation and what's actually happening? Um,
0: well, actually, the next day after I spoke to my mom on Skype, um, she, they had hired an attorney and the attorney came in to speak with me um, just to ask me questions because she was taking me to court, so she needed to defend me. However, I didn't know anything she was talking about. She was asking me about a guy using his full name. I didn't know who he was. Uh, asking me about where we went. I didn't know. I had absolutely no idea what she was talking about, and she was getting so frustrated with me. But I'm getting frustrated at her because my only <laughs> my only focus is getting me out. Like I really, not really worried about what you're asking me right now because I don't know the you know severity of you know what actually happened. Um, and so when the next day we actually go into court. I find out that day that they originally set my bond at $400,000, that there was this car accident that I was the cause of. Um, I'm listening to prosecutors create all of these lies about my priors and stating that I'm a threat to society and I shouldn't be released because I'm a flight risk. And, you know, I'm sitting up there trying to speak out because I don't know the rules of engagement in a courtroom, Um, but I was quickly silenced. Um, and luckily, um, the whatever judge that I was in front of at the time um, found it fit to reduce my bond to $50,000 um, so that I was able to um, place bond to get out of jail. Because I definitely, our focus at the time, well, my mother's focus at the time was just medical treatment.
1: Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, and so, at what point did you realize, like, because I know, you know, leading up to this, you're thinking, wow, this is crazy, I don't know why I'm here, I don't really know exactly what's happening, um, but I know this is likely gonna end with it being resolved on some level, and I'll be out of here, and it'll be a crazy story that I'll have to tell. At what point did you start to wrap your head around the fact that like, they're really trying to send me to prison, like, like this is a real thing? And what are the thoughts that are kind of going through your head at that point when you had that realization?
0: Um, it took a while for me to actually wrap my head around prison. Um, my, um, best friend used to get so frustrated with me. I would have conversations with her, um, you know, throughout the first couple weeks, months, whatever, well, the entire time really, but throughout the first couple of weeks, she was getting frustrated, um, because she didn't think that I realized how serious the situation was and I didn't, um, you know, I, you hear car accident, you don't think prison, you know? Um, you're blaming me for a car accident. I still don't think prison. You know, there was no casualty in the car accident. I was, like, the worst injured individual in the entire car accident. Um, so you're just not thinking prison. However, you know, me and my mother and my father, we keep taking steps, you know, to, you know, get through physical therapy, get it to the point where I'm actually able to walk by myself again. You know, we hired, you know, physical therapists, and we hired this lawyer, and we feel like, you know, this lawyer, she's going to do her job because they hired the number one law firm in the country, Cantor Law Firm, and so we're not really placing too much attention on her because, you know, after you drop $40,000 on a lawyer, you think you are good. Like, they're going to take care of all of it. The most I'm thinking I'm going to have to deal with forever is my mom running her mouth at me about how I owe her $40,000 for this lawyer, um, but we finally went to a pre-trial, a pretrial conference in the courtroom, and I realized that my lawyer, we didn't have a defense. I couldn't defend myself. She wasn't saying anything that sounded like anything like a defense. And the prosecutors are now, they keep calling individuals just to confirm that they felt their life was endangered. So they could add aggravated assault and endangerment charges and tell me that they're going to stack all these charges against me. And if I go to trial, I'm looking at 33 years. So when you hear a prosecutor tell you 33 years are charges that you cannot defend yourself for factually, um, it starts sinking in real hard. Like, at the time, I you know, I was real dramatic. Oh, I'm going to die in prison. You know, 33 years, that's life for me, you know. Um, yeah. That's, so you just, you just, I literally, I created a bucket list, and I started doing, like, all the random things around Arizona I wanted to do because I felt like I was about to die.
1: Wow. Wow. That is, that's crazy. And, you know, to, to your defense, when, it's not like you're out here robbing banks and like like you know the possibility of like hey look I know I can get caught one day like this is probably so far off the spectrum of your reality that you know three shit three years would seem crazy so I can I can only imagine hearing the chance that if this goes the way that they probably wanted it to go that you could be in jail for mm-hmm. three years like that's crazy like so I probably be doing all sorts of stuff too.
0: The funniest thing about it is because once it started sinking in, like and it started becoming real, I'm creating a bucket list and my dad is playing the lottery like ten times more than he's ever played. Because in the back of our head, if we hit this lottery, I'm getting missing. Like I'm not going <laughs> I'm not going to prison. No, Luckily he funny. never hit it, so I didn't have
1: to run. So that'd be, that'd be a whole another story. Um, no, that's that's funny. Um, so being that this was something that like you didn't see coming and i'm also naturally assuming the people closest to you didn't see coming like how did this just this just kind of like uproot like your world view and people around you You know what i mean
0: well it uprooted me um from a lot of my circle actually um because when i got out um there were already articles that had been released about the car accident, and none of them were factual. However, once again, I can't detest anything because that beautiful concussion erased everything. Um, but there's like 50 million versions of an article. I actually even had a website created, um, in like literally, you can Google it; it's still there. Why niggers shouldn't drive? Wow!
1: And
0: it is created. Um, based on my case and there were so many comments it was some of it was blocked recently um but it's just like so when you get on you get online and you see this you get online and you see it, people that have been tweeting your information or people talking about like you know what's been going through or people automatically you know becoming judgmental of like oh how could she be that stupid why would she do that you know people don't understand like the overwhelming factor that places uh it's placed on somebody that's you know, not only having to hear your thoughts, but having to listen to court, having to go to physical therapy, having to try to figure out what's happening in their life, it's just a lot. So you just go into this cocoon and try to recreate, like, your own place of peace, because you have absolutely no idea what's going to happen and what's going to go on. Um And so, unfortunately, you know, like, I now when I see news articles or when I see things that the media portrays about someone's guilt or a crime or something that they did, I always, I, I never believe in immediately because I, I'm like firsthand experience. You know, I've experienced them automatically, you know, placing guilt on me in various stories that were not true. So I think that's something people need to take into consideration. Um, it's not just Trump getting on the, you know, the news always yelling fake news and just for his benefit. It's, it's there is actually a lot of bad news out there.
1: Hmm. No, that's that's a very, very good perspective. Uh, I think that's a perfect segue to my next question. And so, what did you learn? And I'm sure it's a lot, so you can feel free to, you know, drill in on some of the more important points. What did you learn about the justice system during your your whole ordeal, like during this whole experience?
0: Um, the justice system I learned is about money. I learned the justice system doesn't really um, care, um, and it's all about political gain and um, what they can do to get to rush a lot of these processes. Um, One of the biggest facts I did learn about, you know, plea deals and plea bargaining is that the the court system depends on them. They need them. Um, No courtroom has the bandwidth to actually try, have a trial for every case that enters that, enters that courtroom. So it becomes like a group, a collaborative effort, between prosecutors and defense attorneys to see how they can push these pleas to get these cases out the way. And that becomes, you know, pivotal against individuals that, you know, they need more assistance. They don't need a plea. Like, so you're going to have your situations where somebody did commit the crime. They did it, you know, they're able to leverage some type of information. So that plea deal that works in their favor because they should have got 10 years, you know, for trying to kill their, you know, ex-boyfriend. And now they're only walking away with two and they're just going to get an aggravated assault charge. However, when you have individuals like myself in a car accident um, that you're placing blame on um, because I had alcohol in my system and you're, you know, throwing five to seven years that I have no prior was not, you know, a malicious act. It wasn't intentional or premeditated. um, And now you're pushing these pleas at me and I also don't have a memory, that just puts me at a disadvantage because the moment I sign that plea, I'm admitting guilt, and I'm admitting that I did it. However, I'm trying to also, they don't understand that pleas are signed to avoid situations as well because there's an alternative of going trial. I think it's something worse. So it's kind of like you want to choose your penalty. Do you want to, you know, risk it, play Russian roulette and see if you win, or do you want to go with a safer route with the plea and know that, okay, I won't do as much time as they want to give me. Um, so it's very systematic. It's very, 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 you know, manipulative, and w- without any proper knowledge walking into the courtroom uh, about your lawyer's job, you know, the, you know, the responsibility of the judges and, like, the limitations of prosecutors, you're, you're pretty much screwed.
1: Man. You know, that makes me think about, and I'm sure, I'm guessing, have you seen the, uh, the documentary on... What was it, the Central Park
0: Five? I actually did not watch that, um, only because I started watching documentaries around, um, you know, different cases and, like, affected court systems or had impact from social media. And it provides, like, I get a lot of anxiety from it because, like, I play similar situations in my life in them. And so I've been trying to take, like, baby steps on intaking a lot of this real-life information right now.
1: Yeah, I I can understand that. Um, but it would have made me think about which is it, unfortunately now, you know, after talking to you and then seeing that and then just more stuff coming to light, it's more common than we realize. But like the system is very very manipulative, right? And it's it's very like geared towards, you know, just prosecuting people. Um, you know, uh and obviously there's you know systemic racism embedded in all of that. So the, you know, this it's a it's a very interesting dynamic and if you're if you're not educated. Um, that, that just only makes it that much more challenging, but, you know, I just, I'm just appalled at how, how the system is designed, right? Like you hear the justice system is broken, but then when you see cases and hear people actually go through in their actual experience, it's like, yo, this is really messed up. Well,
0: society carries a common misconception. Um, Well, I mean, some of it is based on facts that, you know, minorities are actually at a higher risk of being incarcerated due to their, you know, financial um, ability to access, you know, proper, you know, defense. You know, the Sixth Amendment guarantees everybody, you know, a defense, you know, in trial. So you're going to get, you know, a public defender. However, people attribute, you know, their failure in the court system because of, you know, uh, a public offender that has probably 200 cases on their list. So they don't necessarily take time for each one. Um, that is the biggest misconception out there. You know, it's, like I said previously, I we paid $40,000 to cancer law firm. You know, you have to look at cases like, you know, everybody's familiar right now with Meek Meal. Meek Meal has all the money in the world to throw at the court system to a system, you know. However, how are you placing financial, you know, availability to these, you know, means and you're still not getting anything out of it? Right. Like I'm I was I was still, you know, misled, I was still manipulated, I was still, you know, you know, held at an advantage. And I don't typically I'm not common of, you know, pulling out, oh, it's because I'm black or it's because of this this race or anything. Um, I was, you know, raised military and I've been around every culture and so I try not to like carry those like, you know, premeditated thoughts. However, some points you have to look at it and be like what else what was the other cause for this? You know. I was found guilty on a car accident that, um, based on the indictment charges for the grand jury, based off of eyewitness statements. However, there is not one eyewitness statement that describes me or describes my car. And there's actually one person that my second lawyer ended up talking to, who was the only person who called into 911. And, I mean, called, uh, called into, the detective called him. And he was the only person that was saying, you know, I was driving straight towards the car. I can't tell you if the, you know, the driver was, uh, a male or a female. However, the driver was definitely white, not black or Mexican. That conversation was had on January 15, 2015. I didn't sign my plea till May 12, 2015. How do you hold that type of information and still charge me?
1: Wow. That's crazy. That's crazy.
0: So it's just like, what else, like, what other reasons are you guys using, you know, against, you know, our culture? Like, I, I don't understand that part, you know, and you go into a system and you think that, okay, you know, there's probation. So people, like, you know, you get in trouble and you're supposed to have probation, slap on the wrist, don't do it again, we're washing you, you know. Um, right. But that, that's just not even relevant in the state of Arizona. You know, I don't, I walked in, I don't have any priors, this is my first defense, and, you know, you're saying it's extreme. However, you automatically are looking at five to seven years. Why?
1: Yeah, that's great. To your point, it's... The, the, you start to run out of explanations, right? In terms of like what what is the cause of this, right? And then, unfortunately, you have to rationalize the reality that it's probably, you know, a race thing, right? This podcast episode is sponsored by Kitsch. So let me tell you guys about Kitch. I've been using the service for almost a year now. I started back in November of last year, and it has completely changed my life, completely changed my relationship with food. So it's a plant-based meal delivery service. So that means they cook the food and they deliver it to you. All you have to do is eat it. They also deliver the food in biodegradable containers so that all you have to do is heat it up for a few minutes. And then you can recycle the containers. You don't have to worry about doing any dishes. This service, I mean, literally does all the work for you. So guys, if you ever thought about going plant-based, if you've ever considered it, didn't know where to start, then Kitsch is for you. I actually have been able to lose over 21 pounds that I didn't even know I had to lose um, since uh Using kitsch as a part of my regular routine coupled with obviously a healthy lifestyle and working out consistently and things of that nature So um, for all of my listeners, they have given you guys a 15% off promo code and you can use that promo code every single week It's not a one-time code. So take advantage of it. The code is uncensored Again, the code is uncensored the same way the show is spelled, and you'll also find it in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in, and check out Kitsch. So, you know, you see a lot of shows and movies that depict prison in a certain light, right? Like, what it's like, what to expect, and obviously, with TV or anything else, there has to be you know some entertainment and, and dramatization of things right So my question at a pure curiosity is how accurate or wrong um, are these depictions and to to the extent of what you feel comfortable explaining what is life like in in jail like were you in fear, fear the entire time you like like you thought why I was always trying to get you was it like is it, is it not quite like what you it is like what well, what is it like?
0: I, the funniest thing about this is I was actually in county and I called my friend because, and I was, I was legit mad and I told him, I was like, yo, you know, Orange is the new black season drops next week and I'm going to miss it. <laughs> and he was like, I don't, I don't understand why you're mad about that. Like you're about to go to prison. Like it's, I was like, it's just a point. Like that's my show. Um, but it's. <laughs> It's just crazy because I was probably the scariest person in, um, county and when I first got to prison, um, I typically have very bad facial expressions and the tone of my voice doesn't always like appeal to everybody. They automatically like, you know, they might feel some type of way if they don't, if they don't know me. Um, however, I tried to make sure that I was always smiling. I never looked at anybody in their eye and that, you know, I didn't like ever try to be funny because I didn't. I literally, I, um, I said it in my TED talk. I thought I was going to get shanked. Like, I thought that that was real life because I went on Google, I went on Netflix, and they show you, like, the dangerous sides of prison. And I didn't experience any of that. Um, Orange is the New Black, however, is, like, kind of a glamorized version of prison. But I say that, and I can only speak on my perception because I was in a state prison. Federal prisons are completely different. So, it may be familiar to the setup in a federal prison. I'm not, I don't know that much. I've never been there. Um, so, I can just say state prison-wise, it's nothing like that. Um, the rooms don't even look clean. Um, you're in cells that don't have air condition in the summertime. They have swamp coolers. Um, and, you know, you have temperatures reaching 120 degrees at times. Once again, with no air condition. And, you know, the summertime is monsoon season, and so the second that it gets the slightest bit of humid in Arizona, your swamp coolers are trash. And these are cells that they have you sleeping in from eight o'clock at night to five o'clock in the morning. So you need to get comfortable. Um, and you need to be able to afford a fan to cool off. And there's a lot of individuals and prisons that don't have fans or can't afford a fan.
1: Right. You so, the standard. They make you pay, I guess, pay for
0: that. Right. So a fan is $18. $18 doesn't sound like a lot of people, However, in prison, eighteen dollars is like a million like that's do I buy a fan for eighteen dollars or do I buy food so I can eat on the weekend kind yeah. of thing like those are the kind of questions that people are having to ask themselves um There are also different levels to prison though like you have your minimum custody, your medium custody, and your max custody. um I was on medium custody when I first got there, which is hilarious to a lot of people because I'm not dangerous at all <laughs> um but just based on my charges um I was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and aggravated assault and endangerment. And those two charges automatically placed me in a medium custody level. Um, It wasn't dangerous at all. There wasn't any, you know, anything dramatic. I never feared for my life. Um, I quickly stopped hearing about my facial expressions and people started hearing my mouth pretty soon. Um, It just, it just, it was just like you have to get comfortable there because it's dirty. It's nasty. There's a lot of women there that are, some are dirty and nasty, but you have to take into consideration some people have never, like some of these people are, were homeless coming in and some people rather be in prison than be on the street.
1: Yeah. So
0: it's just a lot of different cultures mixed into one that you have to, you have to try to kind of assimilate to or just kind of be cordial with so you don't cause any friction. Um, I did receive stories while I was there about, you know, dramatic events on like max custody yards, but you have to understand on max custody yards, you have lifers. Like, they're there for the rest of their life. Like, you know, they, they don't have anything to lose. And typically, those are the people that are going to walk around with, like, the most respect. They're going to get a lot of people to do a lot of things for them. Like, you don't mess with them or they'll cut you. Um, You know, you get in a prison and everybody has a girlfriend. You know, if they have a girlfriend and they broke up with their girlfriend and you date that next girlfriend, you might not know anything about their previous relationship. You might be hit just because you were dating, you know, this old his girlfriend and she didn't approve of it. So I was never around any of that, <laughs> so I can't speak to the volume of how bad it gets in prison because I wasn't on Max custody Yards, um, but I will say like, I was fortunate enough to be in the settings where violence was never you know, a problem. Um, if girls are fighting, they're locking it down, so you're not even dealing with it. It's, it wasn't as, as bad as it might be portrayed at some point in the media.
1: That's... Nice. Well at least that's that's refreshing. I mean I know obviously the the conditions in terms of you know living quarters and things of that nature were definitely weren't favorable, but at least you weren't walking around like with one eye or sleeping with one eye open every single night worrying so I was gonna come in and shake you or or something like because that, that's what you T V would lead you to believe. Um, like, right. Um, um so, I do
0: have one thing to say on that though. I, no, oh a lot of uh, the things, the hardest thing that you go through in prison is going to be mental. Um, especially on my part, because I was in prison in Arizona and everybody that I know is on the East Coast. You know, my friends, my family, nobody is in the state of Arizona really um, outside of like my niece and my nephew. Um, so not to be able to like have grass or touch them or, you know, be able to see people, it, it just starts having its like weight on you. And I was blessed with the, Um, the fortune to be able to have individuals care for me financially Um, when I first got in. um, Well, throughout the time, it was always support. So I don't have to worry about um, eating nasty food in the kitchen. On Saturdays and Sundays, they feed inmates twice a day. um, 7 o'clock in the morning and 5 o'clock at night. You might not like the breakfast that they serve. So you're hungry until 5 o'clock at night if you don't have money to be able to support yourself. Um, To be able to call people on the phone, it's um, you're either paying $1.80 if it's local or $3.75 for long distance. All of my calls are long distance. So that's $3.75 per call. Once again, $3.75 doesn't sound like a lot. And so you realize you're calling your mother every day. You're calling your dad every day. You're calling a couple of your friends a couple of times a week. And you've been in prison for four and a half years. That adds up very quickly. Yeah. No. And... It's just like like my reference I made about the fan being able to afford a fan for just a small comfort. Um, I had to pay for brand new sheets because if I didn't buy my own sheets, then I had to sleep on sheets that countless women have slept on, and I feel like everybody in the world knows that women can be like the nastiest creatures ever. Um, <laughs> I don't want to sleep on that. You know, you have them in a jail or in a prison, and they're giving you. Underwear that another woman has worn. Who wants to wear underwear from another woman? Yeah,
1: yeah, no. Is, so like everything,
0: <laughs> yeah, everything just becomes about what you can afford. How comfortable do you want to be? Do you want to sleep on clean sheets? Can you afford it? Do you want to be able to breathe tonight while you're sleeping? Can you afford it? Do you need to talk to your mom? Can she afford it? You know, everything is placed on like money automatically, and it, it's sickening how much money they make off of people in prison. Wow.
1: That's, that's something that, again, I knew about at a high level. Like, you know, I just, again, forgive my ignorance. I mean, you probably before you went in, you probably didn't know much about either. But, um, like, <laughs> you hear terminologies like put money on your books. And, like, like, I, just didn't, like I just didn't know to, the, to what extent, like, that really meant, right? Like, it's almost like this game of we're going to give you the, these substandard conditions to force you Try to get your family or whoever else you have on the outside who could potentially support you to be able to spend money, which is just sickening when you think about it. Like we're giving you sub, uh, you know, inhumane conditions basically, and in order to get to at least a, a, a baseline standard, it, it becomes a matter of what you can afford.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, they've um, manipulated the system. I used to tell people um, while I was still in there. I said, if you don't have a problem with how you sleep at night, you need to come up with a business to align it with a prison. You'll be rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they do, they call them fundraisers. So and everybody gets excited about them because you get access to stuff. You don't typically get, like, you know, I we had food trucks come on our prison grounds. Like, I've had, like, nacho trucks. I've had Indian fried bread, um, freaking fried ice cream. You name it, it's been at that prison. Um, but like I was telling you about the blankets, they'll buy the blankets from like Walmart or a local hotel. So if the blanket costs $10 for them, you're paying 20, but typically you're paying 40 for a blanket. If you want a pillow because you don't get a normal pillow in prison, you're paying 15, $20 for that pillow from the fundraiser. Um, if they bring in a fundraiser for, let's say Taco Bell, I've seen that. Um, if the taco costs $2, you're paying four. You know, whatever whatever they're paying, you're paying double. So they'll do Sam's Clubs and they'll bring, like, you know, good shampoo. They'll bring good lotion in, like, so you can get Jurgens and Aveno Face Cream and things of that nature. You're paying, like, double the amount of everything that you would spend on regular things. And some of them you find necessary. Like, I want Jurgens lotion. I don't want this cheap crap that feels like water. However, now I have to explain to my mom. Well, I need fifty dollars to buy three bottles of Jaregels Bullshit.
1: Right, right. Man, that's crazy. So it's really and again, the things you kinda of catch wind of, you say, Oh, the privatized prison system, it's all about money and it's like you, you, you unless you're like in the in the midst of it or you work in the criminal justice system and are trying to actively reform it, like these aren't things that you know, you know, the full extent of. And so just hearing that and just knowing like what the real angle is, and it's just really financial, it's just, it's sad, because then anybody with any common sense can connect the dots on, hey, we need to get as many people in here as we possibly can, especially those who never thought that they would be here, because, mm-hmm. you know, we need to, you know, because they're going to be the main ones spending money to try to make their conditions as suitable as possible, because they just didn't, they weren't even about, about this life, Well, um, so that's crazy. Here, I mean, because that was going to be my next question. What are some like the financial ramifications of this process? But you basically have articulated it. Um, one question that came from you uh, stating that though is, do you ever feel like there was any level of resentment that was breeded amongst other inmates? Like, if someone could afford stuff, and then someone else couldn't afford it, like, like was that ever an issue? Um,
0: it wasn't so much. I don't know if it was, like, they might have carried personal resentment. Um, they would always spill their words. Um, I used to think it was funny because everybody thought um, that I was rich and had all this money. Um, however, I didn't. Um, I just I was able to budget wisely so I could get exactly what I needed, and I had a lot of love and support um, assisting me, you know, at the time. So, you know, you have the people that they, they look out for these things. So when you go shop for the week, if you're ordering store – Um, you have to go up to, um, the main yard and you're going to grab all of your things in this net bag that's clearly see-through. Um, and you have individuals that will literally stalk you, stalk your bag as you walk back to your room and can like list off everything that you have. And so I think maybe the resentment gets spread when they see what you're buying and if they start asking for stuff. Like, oh, okay, I need a cup of coffee. Oh, I'm hungry. Do you have, you know, like guess you ask for like soups a lot, like ramen noodles. Um, Oh, I need a tortilla. The second you start saying no to anybody, that's when the problem becomes. They're like, oh, but you got money. Okay, I have money to feed myself for the week. I don't have money to feed both of us, you know, but they don't take that into consideration. It becomes like this method of like, if you got it, I need it. And so that's probably the only way like the resentment really occurs. But I, I, I didn't care. I
1: was fine. (laughs) I got you. That makes sense. Um, You know, after going through you know this this experience, uh, which we and we haven't necessarily touched on like right now at this point, we're talking about your experience in jail. So before I ask this next question, let's let's kind of like fast forward a little bit um, just to catch our listeners up. So you start off not even understanding why you're here. You end up realizing that okay. And I'm gonna be here. You end up being in jail um, for a period of time. Um, so, like, just let's. So, explain to us. Okay, now that you're here, you've gotten "quote unquote." I put it in big air quotes. Comfortable uh, with the fact that okay, this is your short-term reality. So, what what happened between the moment that you got in jail and you're kind of you know doing your best to navigate that to the point where we're able to now have this conversation and you're out.
0: Like, so we'll catch yourself on that. Okay, so um, I'll try to, like, raise this up as short as possible because once, you know, I had to, I accepted my reality of walking into prison. All right, this is what it is. This is what I got to get through. You know, what I, it is what it is. Like, what are you going to do kind of thing. However, my mom is, um, she was adamant against this case. She got another private investigator. He met another lawyer, um, Stephen Benedetto, who took on my case. And, you know, we were able to expose the truth that my first lawyer didn't, you know, expose. That's how I was able to actually find out about the guy that talked to the detective telling him that the driver was white, not black or Mexican. Um, that's how I was able to find out that there were no eyewitnesses. That's how I was able to find out, you know, there was no, you know, any facts that actually you don't have any, a single piece of evidence that actually placed me in here. Like, how did you guys swindle me? Like, how did I get swindled? Um, so you become frustrated. Um, I started getting frustrated with officers because they would be so demeaning. Um, and a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them come in with power trips. It's the one part of their day where they run everything. They can tell whoever what to do, and they can feel powerful. And I will never forget an officer. Um, this lady, she was a nurse. Um, she was trying to help out another um, girl in the prison. And the officer told her real quick, she was like, you don't get to help her. You're not a nurse. You're a felon.
1: Gotcha.
0: And, I just felt that that was the most disrespectful thing you could say, because that's when I'm going to start pulling cards, man. The only thing that you need to qual- to work here to like what qualifications you need to carry is a high school diploma or a GD. And this woman has worked her butt off to become a nurse. And you know, that's an extensive, you know, trade and, you know, made whatever mistakes she made or whatever, you know, reason that caused her to be here. How do you take away all of that from one individual? Like, you don't get to hold a person's mistake over them for the rest of their life. So I have just started becoming, you know, like um, this small activism, small things, just like, you know, just how you treat people, how you're looking at people. Um, I became petty in some ways. Like if an officer would be disrespectful to me, I would automatically just start throwing every big word that I could think of at them. I didn't even know if it made sense at the time, but I just know that they looked confused and I felt okay because <laughs> they didn't know what I was saying. And I just, I needed them to remember that, you know, they're locking up a different breed of people right now. Like, the criteria to get in prison has lowered drastically to what, you know, people previously thought before. So this entire time, you know, I'm just sitting up here plotting on ways to, you know, expose this truth. Like, show the people that you actually have in your prison systems and what they're actually doing. Um, Show and expose how they're actually being treated you know, by other human beings that, you know, honestly have made the same mistakes that a lot of people in prison have made. Nobody is better than another, you know? So I just, you know, I just became really adamant about that. You know, they actually had a lady bring in a TED Talk to the prison, and I just felt like that was my time to, like, speak out. So, you know, I, you know, auditioned for it, and I was able to, you know, gain that, you know, position on the stage. And I just knew at that point that this is what I needed to be speaking out for like this was this is i'd never ever in my life felt passionate about something but i felt like if i need to use my voice for anything it's going to be about the treatment of this facility it's going to be about you know the well-being of felons after they get out of this prison and it's just going to be to expose like the truth about the situations like how do you prevent this from happening to people
1: right right that makes perfect sense it makes perfect and i'm glad that you know even though i'm sure that time period felt like in eternity at times um, that you were able to, you know, come out um, and and level-headed and being able to, you know, even have the desire to be that voice. And some people, they don't want to remember it. They want to be so far removed from, you know, that experience so they don't have to relive it or even think about it. So it's very uh, admirable of you to, you know, want to use your voice on the platform to do that. So I guess that's a perfect segue to my next question. You know, after going through this experience, I'm sure you know you've learned a ton. A lot of what you know, some of what you shared on the show today. If you had to boil it down to a couple of takeaways that you know you would definitely want our listeners to glean from, like what is what is something from your experience that you know you say, you know what, if you don't take nothing else away from this podcast or who I am, what I'm about, you need to know this. Like, what's something that you just absolutely feel like.
0: Uh, Tim, m- like my biggest thing um, that I like, one of the biggest things. Like I have like 50 million things lanes I could drive down with this conversation. Um, however, one of the biggest things that stands out, like I told you previously, everybody knowing my story before I did, um, was the automatically judgment that I received. How could she do this? Why would she be so stupid? I need people to, for five seconds, take into account of their actions. So everybody doesn't drink alcohol, you know. Um, However, um, a lot of individuals I know do, and drinking and driving is a common thing. All I did that night was get behind a car with alcohol in my system, and the state was able to leverage alcohol being in my system and accuse me of guilty of a crime I did not commit. That's drastic. All I did was get behind the wheel of a car with alcohol in my system. How many times are people getting behind the wheel of their car with alcohol in their system? You know, that's not too far removed from a lot of your listeners probably and you know one of the one of the biggest things that i took away from this 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 experience is like anybody can go to prison i don't get to say that you know my mom would never go to prison or my niece would never go to prison because there actually is like a statistic showing now that children um born in 2001 the likelihood of african-american children born in 2001 African American men, one out of eight, um, one out of three men is going to go is going to end up in the prison system, and one out of eighteen African American women are going to w- end up in the prison system. So, to put it in a bigger context, like just carry that ratio of one out of three and one out of eighteen, and just walk around the college campus. How many individuals is that really? That's a lot, right? Like that are being at risk to enter a system that you might not have even you know proclaimed for yourself.
1: No, I mean, so you know
0: that that just carries you know a lot of weight on it and i wholeheartedly think that there are a lot of um, statutes that need to be changed to make uh, the country level-headed you know that it's let's take a common thing weed right now weed is legal in california and illegal in north carolina i can walk around the street smoking weed in california but i can go to jail and possibly prison if i do the same thing in north carolina how is that even possible Like, what's so different about the two states? So, you know, a level-headed playing field with statues would be one thing. However, um, we have to work on that. People need to get in the office for that. People actually have to get out and vote for the people that, you know, are adamant about these changes and actually will follow through. But before you're going to be dependent on them, you need to take some accountability on yourself. What can you do to prevent this from happening to you? What can you do to prevent this from happening to somebody that you love? That you have to educate yourself That's the only thing that you can do. Be proactive in your actions and educate yourself in the case that something does occur. What is the responsibility of a lawyer? What is the responsibility, like I said previously, of the judge? What can they actually do against me? And how can I, you know, ensure that my lawyer, if I have to get one, is actually doing their job? Right. Because you have to take accountability on things that you can have an influence on and not sit up here and be mad at the world about their corrupt system. Okay, it's corrupt. We know that. So what are we going to do about it?
1: Right, right, I, mean, I, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it's one of the things I tell, you know, some of the people that, that work for me, they wonder why I wanna get my hands dirty and I wanna know how things work, even if it's something that I probably should, shouldn't be doing or I should hand it off to them or hire somebody else to do. It's because I tell them, hey look, I don't wanna hand off anything that I, don't, that I don't understand myself. Because if I do, Number one, I mean, somebody can get over on me because I don't even know if what you're doing is right, right? So there has to be some accountability and responsibility to know, hey, look, I need to at least have a baseline understanding of how this works, how this functions, because if not, I'm kind of, you know, asked out, if you will, when it comes to, you know, knowing how things should be going, you know, when when it's actually happening. So I, I agree wholeheartedly, we have to take accountability for what we can control um, so that even if we do go out and hire somebody, or whatever the case may be, we at least know what feels right, what what looks right, based upon the baseline understanding that we have. So that's that's a really good technique for sure. Yeah,
0: because um, I was in there. They have like different um, that the prison I was in didn't have a lot, a lot of lot uh, didn't have a lot of access to education. So it kind of baffles me a little bit when I look at stories or read up articles where I see like people are getting their doctorates in prison. Because I'm just like, okay, my prison didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Um, one of the things I did, um, enroll into was a paralegal program and automatically people are like, oh, you're going to be a paralegal when you get out. No, I don't want to be a paralegal when I get out. I don't want to invest that much time into other people's cases, like, cause for the most part, paralegals are just doing the lawyer's job and making them look good in court. However, I need to know the statutes. I need to know how the system operates. I need to know the constitution. I need to know, you know, how things can be violated, what things can be manipulated. I need to know how I got to prison and I need to know how they use whatever information they had against me. And I need to be able to walk smarter when I get out just to, you know, be aware of some of these things. Like I said, statutes shift from state to state. However, when you have a greater understanding of the overall picture, you're able to hone in on your specific area um, that you're in and know exactly what you're looking for kind of thing. Um, so it's just, like I said, education is just so vitally important.
1: Yeah, no, I got you. That makes perfect sense. Um, so now that you're you're out, right? and You're sharing the good news and you know educating people and making people more aware of these injustices that are going on um, right underneath our noses. Uh, just tell us a little bit about like what you're up to now and what are your what are your plans? Which I feel like you maybe have organically touched on a little bit um, throughout the show, but like what are you what are you doing now? And what are your what are your plans to kind of navigate life post?
0: though know, being being incarcerated. Um, well, right now my major concern is just like networking with a lot of people, um, just to kind of get my feet wet in, you know, what's actually going on in the communities, um, what insight is being brought to a lot of felons getting out, um, and how they're engaging, you know, with leaders to promote, like, the actual truth about the situation. Um, I joined a conference, Just Leadership, in D.C. last month, which is amazing, Um, and I will be doing a couple panels in D.C. in the upcoming month, um, just speaking on the truth of the situation. Um, But more importantly, I will be recording, um, um, releasing my podcast, um, A Correctional View, Um, just to go more in-depth about the details of my case, the system of how... Like, you know, we did like the brief overview of it, but it gets so heavy with like how many things can be manipulated, how easily constitutional rights can be violated, and, you know, if you're aware of these things, how it can assist you. Um, and just going like through the, the story of my case and letting you know like the highlights of prison, things that are actually affecting the country, and things like the world needs to know more about. And I just feel like I want to make this conversation like a table topic on. A lot of boards. You know, we're so easily to sit down and, you know, be able to talk about Antonio Brown and if he did it or if he didn't do it. And, you know, if, you know, what's going on with any other football league or what's going on with power or what's going on with whatever local news you're talking about, why aren't we talking about something that's affecting? If you're going to hold conversations with your son, tell your son how to act if he runs to a police officer. Tell your daughter how to act if a police officer pulls her over, you know, because right now, you know, we feel like if you're a black man or a black woman in society, you know, that's, you know, that might end up fatal for you. Just like an interaction with a cop might go less like, and you need to know how to act in front of a police officer, you need to know how to act in life and going in front of, like, courtrooms or preventing yourself from entering those courtrooms. And so that's all I plan on doing is just trying to keep pushing this conversation, make it a, con- you know, a table topic, and maybe so where people realize that this does affect them. Like, this isn't just a meat Mill case. This isn't just a Baltimore situation. This isn't just, you know, for people in the hood or this isn't, you know, for any, you know, particular category or group. It's everybody. This is information everybody benefits from.
1: Absolutely. It can truly happen to anybody. And I think you you are a prime example of that. You're a prime example of that. So for our listeners who you are know, just getting familiar with who you are, I'm sure that, um, once your podcast release, and the, and the more you continue to do to push this narrative forward, uh, more people are going to kind of come in contact with who you are and what you're all about. Um, but for those of us who are just kind of coming across you, uh, where can we find you? And what's the best way to kind of stay connected with you and what, and what you're going to be doing? business? Uh, uh, right now, the best
0: way to stay connected with me, ironically, is actually Instagram. Um, I probably check that more than I check my text messages. <laughs> um and my Instagram handle is Girl Dom G I R L D O M. There's a Boy Dom. So I was a Girl Dom. Just a name that just stuck with me forever. Um to this day I still have people's parents calling me Girl Dom, not knowing that it's fully Dominique. Okay. Um <laughs> so that's fine. And then also um contacting me by email right now. Um Goodman.Dominique at gmail.com. And my last name is spelled goodmon Dominique at gmail.com. Um, like I said previously, I'll be releasing my um, podcast in November, A Correctional View. I'm just overviewing the details of my case, how it is affecting the world, and how it is so pivotal pivotal for individuals to you know gain access to this lot of, a lot of this information. So it doesn't happen to you. And if by chance um, you, any of your listeners are actually reaching out, like um, listening from like college, um, I would just like suggest to them just be mindful of the bad habits that you're creating in college. All of us create very bad habits in college. However, you just need to think about steps moving forward um and just use the example you know you think about geo or homecoming or something like that and you're like oh you got a DUI you're just going to you know end up in jail for the night and you might have to buy an interlock no you might end up in prison for four and a half years and that's that's, that's traumatic
1: wow you know and me being that's that's real because we can all think back to you know we we, we had we fortunately at the time we able to you know, laugh about it, and you know, we came out on top. I even think about some of the situations that I found myself in, I, and ironically ended up sharing on the podcast um, not too long ago. Um, but it could have went out completely different, right? Because you know, we, we just didn't think that that was an option for us, right? We we're educated and we we're in college, and you know, if, what's the worst that could happen? And well, the worst can't happen, and it can put you in a situation that you wouldn't expect. Uh, well, we'll definitely link your contact information. In the show notes, personally, I will be staying connected as you know and following the journey, and I see coming through the podcast, so uh, that's cool. Uh, I don't think you had it the last time we talked, so uh, we'll we'll be on the lookout. We'll be on the lookout um, for what's next for you. We're we're very excited, and I'm I'm grateful that you came on the show and shared with us more about your personal story and just the, the justice system as a whole.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Well, until the next time, guys, thanks for listening. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to an episode of The Uncensored Show. Take at least one thing you heard today and apply it to your life immediately so that you can become one step closer to living a more meaningful and fulfilling life and aligning your resources to what matters most to you. Remember, money is just a resource to fuel your journey. The question is, what's yours? What's up, guys? It's George Atchimpong, your host. I just wanted to take a quick second and say thank you so much for listening to the show. I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for anybody who takes any amount of time out of their day to listen. If you find this show valuable, practical, or helpful in any way, do me a huge favor because it helps us out tremendously to try to reach more listeners. All I want you to do is please leave a review on iTunes and also share this podcast with three friends that you think might find value in the show. Thanks so much, and I'll see you on the next episode.